Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2006. Soon, Casino Royale will be the film with cool stunts and car driving that everyone will want to watch. But until then, there's a plucky little newcomer, a sequel successor to the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is in fact really a kind of standalone movie that's sort of recast all the main roles and doesn't really have a lot to do with the two films that came before, but that's okay because we're going to talk about it. This is Revan On, the Raven On podcast subsection analytical thingy where we recap capsule collections of <laughs> heritage film franchises. This time we are doing The Fast and the Furious and we're up to film three in the franchise. I'm Natalie Bohensky and with me as always is a man who only wants to do one thing in life and that is... Drift. <laughs> it's too late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. In my case, it's drift aimlessly. Um, but uh, hey, look, I'll take it for this film. Uh, this seems a lot more purposeful drifting. I could get into this. <laughs> drifting with purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about the concept of drifting, and I'm hoping you can enlighten me. Oh, oh my me. goodness. Oh, my goodness, yes. Because I was we trying must. to... We must. I, it's it's I was, a central concept. I was trying to Wikipedia uh, what drifting is, and it turns out reading a technical description about how <laughs> you drift when you're not a car person is is yeah. quite baffling. Um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about the Fast and the Furious 3 Tokyo... No, it wasn't called Fast and the Furious 3. It was just called Fast and the, Fast and the Furious... The Fast Tokyo. and the Furious colon... Tokyo Drift. Oh man, we're getting into the punctuation. You I love sure are. Yes. <laughs> no films top the Mission Mission Impossible franchise though when it comes to punctuation. No, that is true. That is true. Because it's like Mission colon Impossible dash. You, you've, already, you've already got you've got punctuation built into the title already. You can only go up from there. Yeah, it's amazing. absolutely. So I guess we launch right into this film about drifting <laughs> and and Tokyo <laughs> and Tokyo and Tokyo, which was really really fun. So do you know I really. I don't think I have much memories about like Fast 4, Fast 5, Fast 6. They kind of all start to blur and because I'm not familiar with the franchise, I'd be like, oh, there's another Fast and the Furious. What one are they up to now? But I feel like I have memories of this one coming out because it was the Tokyo Drift and maybe it's just because Tokyo Drift, as we've said before, has become kind of a punny way to refer to any sort of odd sequel, you know, Too Fast, Too Furious and then... <laughs> Tokyo Drift, yeah. Yeah, exactly, The Lord yeah. of the Rings, uh, colon, Tokyo Drift. The, 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 the joke being that, that, that it's an unnecessary, often straight-to-DVD, like, appendix to a series. Yes. Yes. Did you see this one when it came out or, did you know... I, I definitely didn't see it at the theatres. I, I saw it on DVD at, like, a friend's house at one stage... Like you know, it's two thousand and six, so I was probably like half drunk when I saw it. Um, yep. I remember, I remember thinking it was ridiculous, and I, I, I had a, I had the opinion that many critics had at the time because for a long time this was the lowest rated entry in the franchise. I think it still technically is in terms of like critical consensus. Like Rotten Tomatoes has this at thirty eight percent on the critic score. Like, like it got savaged at the I time. Mean, the thing is, I don't know if I'm already just in Stockholm syndrome with these films no. because we've watched three, and I'm like, I don't feel like this was any worse than the other two. I was going to say, like, like, having gone back and watched it, like, like I, I honestly, I, I saw it once a long time ago. I came back to it. I've since been aware that it's had this this reassessment over the years. <laughs> it, it genuinely has. It genuinely has. It's, it, it's not some secret classic. It's still a pretty bad movie. But there's some stuff in here. There's some sparks. 
And it's really fascinating, actually. This is where the series gets fascinating for me because this movie should be just an asterisk or or like a a footnote in Fast and the Furious history. But weirdly, it's kind of this weird linchpin for everything going forward, right? A A lot of the elements of this movie will not sort of continue on. And yet, strangely, this movie exerts a weird gravity over the rest of the franchise certainly for the next three movies at least, in, in a way that will become apparent to you as, as we watch them, Natalie. But it's fascinating to think how much Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, <laughs> a movie that was already a joke when it, when it hit theatres, <laughs> has become like the weird origin story of how the Fast and the Furious franchise got crazy. <laughs> like, it's, it's fascinating to me. I love it. I love it so much. It's hard to talk about a lot of this stuff without getting into like major sort of spoilers for future movies and stuff. But yeah, although like we can we can dance around it. But I mean, like like how how much are you aware of of how how this movie sort of feeds in into the future? Like like do you have no idea or all I know is that someone I think maybe Tom Selinsky when we sort of discussed doing this project and and said he should come on for one of them because it turns out Tom Selinsky, Doctor Who, James Bond aficionado, mm-hmm. very big film buff, the best pick pod, refined elegant london educated smart you know all the kind of things turns out massive fan of fast and the furious movies absolutely (laughs) not what i would have pegged turns out he's all in i got a message from tom actually hello to tom if you're listening but like just when i put out the first episode of this uh, reven on subsection i just got this like screenshot of his podcast you know feed and just like i'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) And that was great. I was like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. So thank you, Tom. Hopefully we're living up to your, you know, expectations. I think he talked about how there's some sort of timeline shenanigans where there's there's some movies that come up that are actually set before this and it all gets a bit confusing. Yes. Well, well, basically it all hinges around the character of uh, Han. I was going Uh, to suggest that that's what I thought because he got, I mean, spoilers if you haven't seen this film. (laughs) I, I meant to introduce, this is what I meant to introduce this film with. Can I just go back and do my introduction? Because I meant yes. to go, this is a film about a, a a young American getting taught a mystical way, a mystical superpower by legendary Asian masters of the art. It's the Karate Kid on wheels. A little bit. Like, like, that's, like, not, that's not crazy. And they even reference it. Han even says, you know, it's not like wax on, wax off, but he's literally yeah. like a Mr. Miyagi figure to yeah. the young Sean Boswell. So when Han, spoiler, spoilers, dies yes. in a car crash about two-thirds of the way through this film as a, you know, end of the second act twist, I was like, oh, I'm really surprised because he seems like the kind of connected car dude who would probably go on through this series. Yes, and then I, I mean, remember that so, right? He had a moment talking about how he'd been somewhere else and he'd escaped to Japan yeah. and he'd been in trouble. And I was like, oh, that seems to maybe indicate that perhaps his trouble had involved, and then obviously there's a cameo at the end, which I'm sure we'll go into. Uh, the first time it's talked about family. And, uh, yes, I'm all over the place tonight. I'm just like, bleh, bleh. I've had too much drifting. They're, they're literally yeah, thoughts. That's it. You're drifting all over the place, Natalie. I'm drifting in my head. They're not just doing a regular kind of race. It's not a 10-second race. It's a... This is in my minute challenge, but can we maybe start off, Stu, by you telling me what happened that this movie came about? Like, why didn't we get Vin Diesel back and Paul Walker back and some of those early rappers 
Why did sure, you Who by this stage had already uh, become just Bow Wow. He dropped the right. rule. Um, What's he know, now? He, he, he wanted, to be, wanted to be respected as an actor, you know. Totally fine. Yeah, Do a Fast absolutely. and the Furious movie. That's where you go as a rapper to get respected. <laughs> but why? How did we get here? Is my point, Stu? Can you explain? Well, basically, I mean, have so you done the research. I'm well. I'm well versed. Oh, well versed. I, I can definitely give you a rundown of of what it sort of happened. So basically, they were still trying to get Vin Diesel to come back, and they 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 tried to get Paul Walker and a lot of the other people to come back, but everyone had sort of hit their natural limit, and they they sort of had decided for various reasons that it all fell through. Everyone just decided to sort of go their separate ways. And so they were like, well, we have this franchise that has made lots of money. Like, it's been critically panned. Like, both of the previous movies weren't, like, critical successes, but they were financial successes. They were actually pretty good. So they're like, well, what if it's an anthology series, right? Like, like that was the idea. That's how we can keep this going. So we just make a bunch of car movies and we call it Fast and the Furious colon something. Yes. Right? And that can be how we keep making these things. And go to different car culture, street racing scenes exactly. in different parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. But obviously have an American there so Americans can understand sure. what's going on. Exactly, yes, because you need that you need uh, Americans can't relate to anyone else but Americans. You need the um, insert character. Exactly. That's that was the idea, and so they 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 had they had worked up a version of this film where Vin Diesel was the main character because they, they wanted Vin back. Vin at this stage was off filming uh, Riddick, and actually his fee for this movie he 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 turned down payment for his cameo at the end of this movie. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. He he turned down any sort of uh, monetary payment, but he got Universal to give him the rights to the Riddick franchise. <laughs> Right. That How was did that go big, for him? How did that yeah, go for him? That, that was his big play because he was he was convinced. He's like, that's my that's my ticket, right? So Triple X didn't work out, but Riddick, Riddick's where it's at. That that'll be my that'll be my what I'm known for going forward. I, I won't be known for these car movies. So yeah, they they basically they they'd done a version uh, set in Tokyo with drifting that featured Vin Diesel in the American character role, and his his motivation was going to be he was going to be investigating like a murder or something, right? So there was there was a reason for him to be in Tokyo, sort of mixing with the underworld. There he pulls out, and they retool it to be about this just the dumbest person alive, I think. Uh, <laughs> like, like the main the main character in this uh, movie is possibly the dumbest person i've ever seen in my life really uh, just i mean do you not do you not think so yeah. just wandering into various <laughs> situations with a dopey look on his face going oh what's going on here yeehaw yeah i uh i've got things to say about that but basically like they 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 decided you know okay we're gonna do this because none of the original stars were there the studio was sort of a bit worried that they're like can we do this like is, is anyone going to come there was talk at at a late stage that it was going to be a direct-to-dvd release oh i see um so it might not have even come out in theaters and yeah they they tapped this little known director at the time called justin lynn to direct the thing and he turned in i think a pretty a pretty decent action movie in action terms movie. of like the actual the actual action that's on screen like the script is atrocious but you know when when, <laughs> and- it, when it gets down to like the way it's shot and the way it's put together you see the spark there that's going to take the franchise to some very glorious heights <laughs> Oh man, I, it must be so frustrating for you to not be able to just go. I, and oh, that's I just, we... yeah, yep, yep. Like, there's so many things that I want to talk about, but but we'll get there. We'll we will get there. You Natalie. don't want me to be spoiled. Like, I'm happy to go and read ahead if you want, but I I oh, feel no, like no, no. you want 
your I want experience. you to experience this. I want you to experience this, the, the unfolding flower that is this uh, franchise <laughs> in all its glory. The unfurling lotus that is. Yes. Well, should we go then to my minute challenge because uh, I think it's my turn. And uh, first up on my minute challenge where we put a minute on the clock and try and remember everything we <laughs> encountered in this movie, the first thing on my list was the kid from American Gothic. <laughs> Now, yes. for, those, for those people who were around in the 1990s, <laughs> you might recall that in Australia, your Wednesday night viewing in, I think, 1995 or 1996 was The X-Files at 8.30 on Channel 10, followed by American Gothic at 9.30. <laughs> and American Gothic was only one season of, you know, like 20-something episodes. It was mm. only one season, but it made such a bed, a nest in my mind that it's still kind <laughs> of a perennial 90s show for me and I it was always confusing because Lucas Black was the kid in American Gothic and mm. Gary Cole played the sheriff of the town who was something of like he was the devil basically but his name was Lucas Buck it was very confusing oh right okay yeah did you ever see this show I I, I, I saw this I saw the show when it was on I don't think I was I don't think I was I was into it as you apparently were uh it was I, I definitely watched the x-files well, it was. I was about to say it's sort of a southern gothic thing, but yeah, it was. De- it was called American Gothic. It was set in you know some hick southern town, and the devil is the sheriff, and he controls people. And Lucas Black's this orphan who he murdered her sister, and he's yeah, he's just this terrible bad guy. But he was played by Gary Cole. <laughs> if you don't know Gary Cole, he was the dad in the Brady Bunch movies, not the originals, but the movies in the late 90s. And I think he's, he pops up in some of the, the like Will Ferrell movies sorts of things. He's just a great character actor, but he was awful in this. And uh, when they were teasing it, you know, when back in the day, channels would tease for months before the show started, they would be teased doing like their, this show is coming. And American Gothic has had this tagline of someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. Oh, yeah. Jesus and Christ. I just like, had a vivid sense of yes, memory. Wow. Yes. Okay. It was like written in blood. Like there was like yeah, someone's was at the like, door. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Blood. Yeah, absolutely. And and someone whispering, someone's at the door. Someone's at the door. And that used to freak me out. So then I sort of watched it and it was all freaky. It was all like set in, in almost in sepia tone. It was all sort of dappled sunlight yeah. and dusk and that, you know, that mid mid nineties real uh, Southern American accents, and yeah. I think Sarah Polly, Sarah Polly, Sarah, one of the Sarahs, Sarah Paulson, Sarah Paulson, what, one of those kind of from indie Amer- Sarahs, the American Horror Story franchise, possibly. But I think she was in it as the ghost of his sister, who would turn up and go, "Don't follow the sheriff; he's a bad man." Like it was just all <laughs> the most Southern accents, and uh, and yeah, and he was the kid in it. And because I remember, that's one of the reasons why I remember this film coming out because I went, is that the kid from American Gothic? And I don't know what ever happened to him. Did he go on to do things after this movie? <laughs> uh, after this movie? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, he went on to, um, uh, I know he was in uh, Friday Night Lights uh, oh, okay. quite a bit. And it, ba- basically any, because um, uh, like he's not putting on an accent. He's from Alabama and he has a strong like Alabama accent. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, so he basically gets a lot of movie and TV roles. He was in um, NCIS New Orleans for quite a long time. Apparently, he was in 125 episodes of that one. Wow. Um, that, that was his that was his meal ticket. Um, and he's he's been in other things like he's been, he's had bit parts in in 
a few other like movies and things. But yeah, like he's basically been a TV guy for a long. He was a he was a NCIS guy for a, for a long time. That was his right. that was his regular gig. But um, this seemed to be his first. Like I'm an adult now. And now I'm in a movie about yeah, which, which is weird because he was quite young. We're, we're, we're almost exactly the same age. I think he's about a month older than I am, and which would have made him sort of early 20s in this movie. And he's playing a 17-year-old, which mm. isn't like crazy for Hollywood. Like someone, someone who's like 24, 25 playing 17 doesn't like is not unusual um, no. for Hollywood. But he looks like he's 40 in this movie. Like, he like, he looks, like a grown look- up, he looks like a grown ass man, Natalie. He does not look like a 17 year old. He doesn't kid. look like Come a 17 year old. Yeah, that is true. That is true. He doesn't look seven. Because the fact that they have to keep going like, careful, he's underage. And I'm like, he's oh, underage. He's like, no, he's not. What are you like, talking what, about? Like three years? Like, yeah, like- <laughs> the weird thing is they had to make him underage because they had to be able to send him to go live with his dad. Because if he was over 18, he can just go and do what he wants. But they had to have him sure, be they, able they, they to. Need, they needed a reason for him to be in Tokyo. That's basically. right. Because otherwise, why would someone send you to Tokyo in specific? It, to, to be fair, Natalie, it still doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Um, <laughs> but look. It, yeah, it would have made more sense if he'd gone there on a package holiday and just happened to run in. But they needed to have the dad subplot of, you know, becoming friends with his dad again or something. Or even, or even just like, I mean, I mean they, they do it to make, to, be thematically like resonant but you know yes. like this this convoluted series of events where he he gets into a car race with the eldest son from home improvement oh my god so that was next on my list <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Was, was that the kid from home yep. improvement yes it was yep absolutely it was speaking i can't of even 90s, remember his name but yes uh his name was brad in home improvement he was the elder because <laughs> it was the oldest son yep it was brad Jonathan Taylor Thomas was the actor in the middle. JTT was the the middle child. JTT, but he Uh, wasn't. I know Mark was the youngest kid, but I can't remember the name of Jonathan Taylor Thomas's. What was he? Pep or something. It doesn't matter. But anyway, I looked and I went, "Oh my god, that's the kid from still looking like." He did in Home Improvement. Like he He does. He's one of these these guys who looks the same when he was obviously. I mean, he was obviously in his early twenties. His early twenties as well, and he looks the same as he did when he was fourteen. He he pulled off seventeen better than the other guy yeah, did. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I believe that guy is like a jock seventeen year old bully. Yeah. So he gets into a car race and look and again the thing with these films is they're not great. Like, but they get into the action pretty quickly. They don't They do. They don't have they elaborate do. setups. They're like, no, no, no. He gets into a race in high school for a woman. And there's some weird stuff going on with with women in this film. But let's 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 uh, <laughs> mention that later. Talk about that later. But uh, they get into a race. They both smash their cars up. The other kid is rich, so he just walks away. But his mum, to get him out of trouble, has to send him to Japan to go live with her, her ex, his dad, to straighten him out. As you do. And what I like about that, Stu, is what I've written here is he immediately gets into the car scene. He's told, yes. don't, get, don't go racing. Yeah. He goes to school, looks very out of place, given that he's you know, 23, 24. He's a 25-year-old 20, he, man in a weird Japanese schoolboy outfit. Yes. He goes to school and immediately finds the one guy who knows how to immediately get him into the racing scene and he immediately challenges for a race. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, that's pretty quick. Within a day. Within yeah. a day of yeah, getting yeah. to Tokyo, he's already racing the uh, – the king of the local street racing scene. <laughs> they don't the drift, waste time. The drift, the drift king. The drift. Well, I had written that. Uh, okay, let's let, let me continue with my list. Um, <laughs> drifting, Stu. Can you tell me about drifting? Well, what is drifting? Why do we do is more it? Drifting is more of a state of mind, Natalie, as Han says. You know, like why? Why do we drift? Why do we race? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, all, uh, 
you know, you have to have a reason to do it. Um, well, there's, there's also a moment too where he takes the girl, Neela, who we'll talk about, I'm sure. Oh, yes. uh, they go drifting, you know, romantic young expedition. and they're talking Because she about, can drift too, of course, because like everyone can drift. Yeah, girl power. And she drifts. And I'm getting in it too, uh, too early, but she's literally talking. Again, if we're supposed <laughs> to believe that they're both 17, still in high school, like say grade 12, but still in high school, and she talks about back then people didn't, you know, it didn't really matter what you drove, you know, you just, it was about being out there and people just made do back then, but it's so competitive now. It's like, you're 17. How, yeah. what, how much time has that passed? Two years since you were drifting first? Like as soon as I got my license, I was just up here all the time. You're 17. When does, when does Japan let people get their licenses when they're 12? Yeah, I don't actually on? know. I don't actually know. Maybe they do. Who knows? I don't think they I don't think anywhere lets you get your license below about 15 or 16. But still, it just she was talking like a 30-year-old woman going, remember the days when we yeah. used to just go and drift? There's a, there's a lot of that it's where like, the movie was the movie now. You're in those days now. You're 17. These are the days that you will look back on when you're my age going, huh, remember when we used to go drifting? Exactly. The, the movie loses sight at several points that several of its main characters are literally high school students. Yes. Um, because it wants to be that crazy like fast and the furious like sexy women and stuff that that's why that line you know hey, careful girls he's underage yes right because they just have to like address it they just yeah. have to be like for plot reasons he's 17 years old so uh, I, he can't don't do that i don't know he's in the like, club he's in, yeah, the club. We're, they, we're in the club and they have like for a you know a sexy car movie they have a very chaste romantic relationship like they never actually kiss i don't think they just you know hold hands or touch a little bit yeah. like oh we're 17 but then they're out driving and drifting like they're 27 year olds <laughs> it's just so anyway it's also, it's also unclear how old the main bad guy is because I... the older the older he actually is the way ickier the the central I... relationship okay. between him and the the, so, the main girl uh, look Stu, that is the very next point on my list yes. but I, I just before we move on we are simpatico I, I really want you to address to me what is drifting. Oh, drifting! Like, we, we completely like, left that behind, didn't we? Um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, well, like, do you do you mean like? Okay, I was trying to read. Physically, for real, what what is drifting? It's, <laughs> like, it's obviously that cool move they do where the car kind of goes sideways, like they slam on. But I was yes. trying to read about it on Wikipedia, and it's like it's when you oversteer, and then you do this, and you put a brake on, and then you take a brake off, and then you. Yes. Anyone, anyone who's ever played uh, Sega's uh, Daytona uh, racing uh, will know what drifting is because uh, you have to drift like crazy in that video game. Have you? Did okay. you ever play that at the arcade, uh, Daytona <sighs> racing? If I did, Stu, it would have been me <laughs> in, an, in an attempt to just keep a car going straight. I would never have right. drifted. I, I would have sure. crashed out on every corner. I am not one of life's good car. Like I can't play Mario Kart because it makes me physically ill. Any yes. of those big rounds up and down. The only video games I could ever play was classic Mario where you go from left to right on the screen. Yes. That's all I can do. My my seasickness will never let me <laughs> do yes, car yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. Your, your, your inherent motion sickness will never let you play <laughs> that. Right. Um, look, basically, so like the, to to like, and I, I am I am no expert. Like, we we really need to get your brother to record like a drifting explanation. But basically, oh, you you put it you put the car into a into a controlled skid. Basically, like you you instead of instead of turning around the corners, you skid around the corners, and that's faster and right. and and you're turning circles a lot smaller 
and it lets you get around, which is why they're having like the drifting competition at the start of the movie and at the, and at the end in like a parking garage because there's a lot of tight corners that they can drift around and show their skill and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yes. it, it did make me question, I didn't sort of note this down, but I did question a lot uh, during the course of this movie, who's... Surely there are other people using these parking lots, you know, people who <laughs> commuters who have parked there. They're like, can you get out of my way? Yeah. I'm trying to get my car. Well, he's definitely, I mean, he, he smashes into a bunch of cars. Um, oh my God. I'm pretty so sure much- not all of them like would have belonged to races. Like there would have been several that were just parked there. Yeah. And the one, the one nod that they make to law enforcement is going, Hey, Japanese police cars can't go as fast as our cars. So they don't even bother trying to catch us. Well, that ties up that in a bow, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. That's why go you to, never see any police. Go to Japan. The police are toothless. Hooray. <laughs> we do what we want. We put some noz on the car. Now we can do what we want. <laughs> there's, not a, there's not a lot of noz action in this one, actually. We, not we, as weirdly. much. Um, noz as much. The focus is on the drifting, obviously. Because it is. We're not, it's all we're not about in the drift. 10 second. And Lucas Black, a.k.a. Sean, he's, he's a rough and tumble American, as we've seen in his establishing street race. Indeed. Which is goes through an empty car, empty, uh, what do you call it? Building site, um, <laughs> tracked housing building site, and he just smashes through a whole bunch of wooden framed housing. He's American muscle. He's just like bam, 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 right through. I just go right through. I don't stop for anybody. <laughs> I just have to be in the moment with the machine. So I'm gonna go. <laughs> Who do I sound like? Why am I talking like this? Who do I sound like? You sound like Blanche Dubois. I sound like Blanche Dubois crossed with Lindsey Graham, that Republican yes. senator from America. <laughs> I'm Lindsey Graham, and Donald Trump is a good man. <laughs> <laughs> a stranger is just a friend you haven't met, and that's how I view Donald Trump. Oh, there's a casting. <laughs> Lindsey Graham is Blanche Dubois. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but there's there's so there's so many cars that must not be racing cars. Like just everyone's gathering a whole bunch of kids and young people, like taking up a whole parking garage, and nobody seems to do anything. Like the you mm. know, at least in the American ones that you know the cops would turn up and go, "Hey, get out of here, you naughty kids." Obviously, in Japan, they don't. But, <laughs> yes, but going back but to I mean, this, you, just- you could almost say, like, like it, it seems very organized, if that makes sense. So you could almost think that maybe it's just like a sanctioned thing. Like, I, well, I, think, yes. I think we're not supposed to think about it too much, basically, is, is the well, point. The only comparison I have is to when I was in high school back in the 1990s, Stu, and um, well, no, actually, in 2014 but uh no um (laughs) there was a tendency for dudes to go and get their cars and hang out in the shopping center car park that happened there used to be a restaurant on brisbane's north side called harry's harry's fine diner harry's oh yeah 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 not hepatitis harry's up at caxton street which is gone now but that was the dodgy all night you know sausage roll chico roll place but no harry's fine diner it was on windsor road and it was like a american diet like proper american diner burger jukebox retro thing and dudes with their classic muscle cars would go and congregate there on Friday and Saturday nights and I remember one of my high school friends her boyfriend was a little bit older so he obviously got his license first and we all went out one night was it in year 12 or maybe I was first year of uni whatever it was we went out in his Corolla because he had his little Japanese you know sporty Corolla souped up Corolla for I don't know speeding around the place but we went out one night in the Corolla and went to Harry's to have dinner and we got there and circled around looking for a park and he was so embarrassed that he didn't have his muscle car with him we had to go back to his house to get his big muscle car and go back in the muscle Mm. car (laughs) 
Can you believe that? (laughs) I cannot believe, like this guy, he was a really odd guy, like a really weird, like sort of sour dude. I don't know why my friend went out with him, but he was always seemed a bit sour. He never seemed to like anybody but my friend, but he was obsessed with cars and he he came from obviously a fairly well-off family and he had two cars at age, you know, 17, 18. Right. He had his big hulking muscle car and his little Japanese sporty Corolla, but we had to go back. Like we couldn't park. We had to go back and get the muscle car. He didn't live too far away. That is peak gearhead. That's crazy. Peak, peak, peak. And then the other thing was that dudes on the north side – at Aspley uh, used to be the pick and pay hypermarket. I think it's just a big sure. supermarket now with a yeah. with a Coles and a Kmart. But it used to be specifically called the pick and pay hypermarket. Massive car park, and guys would go there and park their what was that car that everyone had? A Cortina, Cortina, Ford Cortinas. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. They were like really popular. They must have been cheap or easily super-upable or something. I don't know why, but about five dudes at least in my grade had Ford Cortinas. And you'd always see, I never went there myself, but the rumor was that one guy in my grade put like aircraft landing strip lights in his Ford Cortina. Like right. under the, I don't know, like he, he put illegal lights as yeah. like the instead of normal floodlights, like you put in the like aircraft landing lights or some shit. I don't right. know. Okay. And the story was the cops turned up one night as they often did and just did a routine, you know, swipe about and they got him to turn on his headlights and he lit up the entire front of the pick and pack <laughs> hypermarket. They're <laughs> like, I don't think those are regulations. <laughs> They're not road uh, worthy. So that was the that was the story that um Cam, I think his name was, got in trouble for <laughs> <laughs> overly sipping up a Ford Cortina. If that if that's true, that's hilarious. That's but hilarious. I just I love the idea that like transposing this like super cool Japanese drifting culture with everyone in their designer threads and super cool haircuts and yes. just going back to 1990s Brisbane North Side with a whole bunch <laughs> of a mix of bogans and private schoolboys trying yes, to be bogans. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, it's yeah, pretty awesome. But yes, but the, the, the thing is, the thing is too, Nat, that you have to understand like a lot of the what you you see a little bit of it in the first Fast and Furious movie, but so much of car culture and car racing culture is taking like a pretty cheap car and then doing as much as you can to like make it cool. That's so okay. much of what it's, it certainly wasn't the early 2000s anyway. Like, like in terms of you would buy like a cheap ass, like, like my, my brother, for example, um, one of his first cars was a was a, a Sigma, a, a, Nissan, a Nissan, Nissan Sigma, which is like just a standard factory mid-range sedan. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And he decked it out in like the interior. He got this cheap, uh, fuzzy <laughs> blue carpet and put it everywhere inside the, including on the ceiling. Right. He put it all over the ceiling, all over the back deck, like all over the seats, all over the, all over the front, uh, the front of the, the dashboard, all that sort of stuff. And then he, and then to, to complement it, he put like blue running lights under the, under the car itself. So he could turn them on. And when he was driving, he'd have these blue lights. And then all the inside was like plush blue, like Cookie Monster. Are they insane. legal running lights? Are they legal? Um, I think I think they're legal because I mean, like cars have them. Like, like cars have them legally today. There's um, some sort of lights that you're not supposed to have. Like I think I think and- yeah, like, like like lights that like strobe or something like that is is not is frowned upon. Yeah, and you can soup it up. Like you can put like you know really nice tires on on the car, and you can do up the engine a little bit, and just just stuff well, like that. Like, like you know. My question to you, Stu, was your brother like totally swimming in high quality tail? Because it seems like from this movie, <laughs> all you have to do to get the ladies is just have like a really slick machine, and women are like, "Oh, hi." Oh, they they were they were not Im- the ladies were not generally impressed with his 1997 model Sigma. No, I <laughs> yes. don't think so. <laughs> cookie Monster interiors with the Cookie Monster interior. 
hey, ladies, want to come and uh, lay some carpet in the back of my <laughs> – I've got a roll of uh, Prussian blue just over here. I need some help installing <laughs> if you could uh, get the hammer and just bash it in on that side. Uh <laughs> I mean, the thing is, at least in the other movie, in the previous movie with Suki, they had like a girl who was a driver. In this movie, there don't appear to be any women who drive apart from Neela. And that's sort of done in a very specific way to show that she and Lucas Black are soulmates or something. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you are at 17. Yeah. It's um, a very, it's, she's a very damsel character. In it's this a one. very macho, it's a much more macho, as much as you can say that for the Fast and the Furious franchise, but it's very much like. <laughs> Hey, we're men, and this is what we do. We're dudes, yeah. But it's yes. a very, it's a very masculine movie, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, that is a weird thing to say about the Fast and the Furious franchise. No, but you're right. You're right. You, you, that's that's spot on. Yeah, absolutely. But it's but it's interesting that it's about because it's got so much of the the Japanese element that it's all about like young Japanese men and their posturing and their take on things, which I, I don't know how much of it is just based on American ideas of what look quickly we need posturing young men, but they've got to be Japanese yes. posturing young men. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 interesting anyway. Uh <laughs> brings in something different to it. Obviously, let's talk about the Drift King. Uh oh my goodness. Takashi. Because as I said, Neela is in school. That's he's she's literally the first girl in the front row in the school where he walks in. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Black walks in and sees a pretty girl in the front row. <laughs> and, but no, he's, you know, stay away from her. And eventually her story comes out. Her mother was Australian. She has a very strange Australian accent. Uh, they, they, have to, they have to justify her Australian accent. But the thing is, Stu, it doesn't make sense because they say that, like, she... She was only young. Yes, no, no. Yeah, she was left. only young when she came over. She would have, she would have lost that accent very quickly. How, but how, how did, how did her daughter then? How did Neela even get an Australian accent yeah. if her mother wasn't around that long? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> they, they've tried, to, they've tried to come up with some sort of backstory which justifies the accent, and they've actually just raised more questions than they answered. <laughs> Maybe she just watched a lot of Home and Away on cable. Yeah, yeah, she was a big, um, she was a big Neighbours fan. So, <laughs> yeah, so she got taken in by Takashi's grandmother, who we never see in the movie. We just assume that she was a nice lady who took in this. Like, surely, how did she not come to the attention of, I mean, I suppose that could happen. You'd have a kid and, you know, like the mother disappeared and the family weren't looking or nobody from her mother's family went, hey, we've never seen Judy again. Whatever happened mm-hmm. to Judy? Yeah, she went to Japan when she was 18 and we've never seen her again. Oh, well, good luck to her. Like I just <laughs> – anyway, it was a convenient It was a convenient reason for her to be there. But it then gave them this issue of going, okay, so Takashi is her kind of cousin or brother in terms of being raised – together or similarly yes like like you get the sense that like maybe they both sort of were around in the japanese underworld because his dad is not around just his uncle yes so if we assume his dad and his uncle were brothers and the grandmother was the grandmother of both of them yeah so maybe he's a couple of years older than her but it's really weird to be like hey i'm totally into my essentially adopted sister like we were raised together yeah, like, and to the point where, like, I mean, we're assuming like Takashi is a little bit older, at least, like, surely. I took him for like twenty or twenty-one or something. Yeah, twenty-two maybe. But again, you're talking four or five years older than mm. if this girl came in as a kid. Kid, she's yes. literally your little sister, and now you're like, yeah, I'm gonna bang her. But again, 
he kind of they smooched and stuff, but it it was it was yeah, it's a, weirdly weirdly chased for what it, it is. It's weirdly like, chased because she's seventeen, you yeah, know. And exactly. Even, exactly. Yes. Even then, the movie is like, oh, we're not really comfortable. Like, I remember. Do you remember Goldmember, the third um, Austin Powers movie? I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> Where they because the first one they had Elizabeth Hurley, you know, in her thirties, sexual woman. Then they had Heather Graham in her maybe late twenties or early thirties at that time, sexy fun girl. Then they got Goldmember and they got Beyonce. They got Beyonce. Who was was like 22 at the time. So, yes, an adult woman but also very young and not – she was still kind of Destiny's Child. She was still kind of pop. She was just starting to make – pop princess. Yeah, yeah, she was starting to make her transition to, you know, her solo career. and Beyonce, yeah. (laughs) To become the final form of Beyonce. (laughs) You know, but back then she was still kind of like very young and naive looking. And so they didn't, they had them having had a relationship and him dump her or whatever, Foxy, Foxy Cleopatra or whatever her name was. <laughs> but they never, they kind of were like, oh, it was very, again, very chaste. And it's like, because Mike Myers at that point was, you know, probably twi- almost twice her age maybe. Mm. And it just would have looked odd having like sex scenes and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was all just kind of implied and not actually done because it's like, oh, no, that's Beyonce. Don't do not do that. Uh, <laughs> but, but the thing is sometimes films seem to recognise that and go, yeah, we can't really have an out-and-out yeah. sexual scene here because it's just going to be really uncomfortable. Because the character, we're, the character we're depicting is underage. Like, yeah. like that, that, is, that is literally a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah that's, you know. that's not good. There's one thing about having teen dramas where a bunch of kids all pretending to be 15, 16 pass on. Yeah. But there's another to have you like Yakuza adjacent Drift King, <laughs> weirdly possessive about his essentially adopted sister that he's in a relationship with. Who's, she's who's not really still in high school. She's not really into. Uh, yeah. He's the ultimate toolie, really. Do you remember the? <laughs> well, what I love is that we've we've had a we've had a big um like discussion about like how weird and gross this is. Um, but like at the time, this probably would have passed unremarked. Yeah, <laughs> if we, we've come a long way. Well, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I still feel if at the time I'm watching this, I would have been like, oh, yeah, it's a bit weird. You would have been gross. in the minority, I think. Like, I think there would have been plenty of people well, who watch this movie and saw no problem. Again, it's about. There's something about this movie is with having like Brian O'Connor, we talked about last week with, you know, the ladies. Whenever there's a girl involved, there's this weird, you know, her honour is being threatened by this creepy guy. So you've got to have the American being there to go, no, I'm a better alternative. But But not in a I'm going to save you way, but in a, hey, I'm going to help, you know, I want to go drifting with you and you drive. I'm not emasculated by you having yeah. freedom and making your own choices. Mm. You know, I'll be here to support you when you decide to run away from your weird older adopted brother who's super into you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, we talked about that. We talked about they're all 17. Oh, his uncle is in the Yakuza because yes. obviously it's his, his uncle is the head of the Yakuza. Is he the head of the Yakuza? Yes. yes. Yakuza. Well, all I have to say is his white outfit that he turns up in when he's first seen. Boss. Absolutely. Legendary. Boss. Talk about not caring about fitting in or being having a low profile. <laughs> yes. Hi. I am Kamata. Uh, I am the leader of the Yakuza. What is it to you? <laughs> Do you like my white outfit? Don't spill anything onto it. Um, I thought that was very, very good. Uh, Lucas, uh, I keep calling him Lucas Black. Sean Boswell. Sean. His dad's in the Navy and he lives in a terrifyingly tiny. It probably will be for life. Half apartment. Wait, 
That's a joke, isn't it? Are you? Are you? Sorry, but that was a I weird. That was a weird. That was a weird reference to throw there. Yeah, but it's a song lyric, isn't it? It is. It's from Piano Man. Yes, sorry. Oh, right. Thank you. It just <laughs> it clicked. Mind. Something in my brain went ping, and I went, uh, I, what? Uh. So he's, yes, he's in the Navy. Now, he gets sent there. He's immediately in school the next day. Has his dad enrolled him? Has he paid? It looks like quite an expensive school. Mm-hmm. And then even after his dad kicks him out for racing, he still turns up at school. Is that it's, his- not even, it's not even that his dad kicks him out for racing. Like his dad is saying to him, like you, you get the impression that in a different movie, this would be like a, a, a stereotypical like military hard ass who's like, God damn it, you live under my roof. You're going you're gonna to do what I tell you, you know, and, and then he, he rebels against that and runs away. But his dad's kind of understanding, like, but also is like completely useless when it comes to like enforcing curfew or anything with, with Sean. Because yeah. like the, the very first day he just goes out and gets into a fucking car race and it's like, <laughs> what are we what are we doing? What what's going on? And then he comes home at like you know midnight and the guy's like, do you have any idea what time it is? And it's like, buddy, you've already dropped the ball here and you will drop it many many times throughout this movie. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just so strange. And what do you expect your son to like stay in your weirdly tiny, horrifically claustrophobic apartment? Mm. Like I know I know things are bad in Japan when it comes to people living cheek to jowl, but Jesus Christ. And there's also there's a there's this weird thing at the start where like you know what is coded as a prostitute like leaves his house oh when my Sean God. gets there. What was and, that about? Yeah, and then so she leaves, and you get the impression that he's like a bit of a skeevy guy. But then like no, like nothing that happens throughout the rest of the movie suggests that he's anything other than a fine, upstanding naval officer. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, like what that was that was- for? Like what's that? I'd forgotten about that, but you're right. That was really odd. Like he's just, just like, strange. give me one like, minute and says, thank you. And then she leaves kind of looking like if she just went, oh, okay, bye. I'll see you later. Like sort of happily. You'd be like, oh, maybe it was just his girlfriend. No, but, but she, she looks at him like he's a scumbag. It's this and really it's like, oh. awkward, like, oh, I've just paid you for sex. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then later, and then later they, they make a crack, which is pretty funny. He's like, why can't, you know, he, uh, Hans saying to Sean, you know, why do you have to be focused on Neela? It's like, why can't you be like all the other white guys and get a nice Japanese girl? Yeah. You know, like, and, and so like the movie is making jokes about white guys in Japan. And you wonder yes. if that's just like something for the Japanese audience where they're going to get that. And we just find it sort of, sort of weird and off-putting. I don't know. I, it's... I, I think it's for the Western audience because that's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Like white dudes trying to find Asian women because they think they're going to be I mean, submissive. Yes. Yeah, because you know, oh, know, clearly, clearly, women in those cultures—they're just going to be submissive. Clearly, they have no mind of their own. Clearly, <laughs> good luck with that, my friend. <laughs> it's just weird. I was talking about this to someone else the other day. I'm like, the concept that because there's sort of you know there's this you know cultural politeness or whatever that a lot of Asian cultures have that's different to Western cultures. The, the idea that men will be like, ah, well, an Asian woman is just going to be really submissive and I'll come first and they'll do everything I say. Like, buddy, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? <laughs> what are you even thinking? You really assume, like, <sighs> I, mm, I don't. They're idiots. I don't, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's like once you're married to a woman, she's going to have a say about things and all of a sudden <laughs> you're going to be like, huh, what? I don't know. I thought you were just going to do everything I say because you have no brain in your head. You're like, no, it's this them some stupid uh, stupid doors to open, my friend. I, I don't mean to sound pat. I honestly just the concept that Western women, 
uh, too independent and think too much. Eastern women, oh, they're they're subservient and do what you say. Like, no, it doesn't. Mm. I don't. Women are people, no matter what yes. their skin color or their race. Right. They're going to have opinions, and you're going to know about it. And uh, stop being an idiot. Anyway, that's that's just Natalie's two cents. I, I hope people <laughs> understand what I mean by that. I'm not. I'm not trying to be. I just no, no totally. I think you were very clear. But but like, yeah, you know, I, I agree. And but but this film is not clear in what it is trying to say with that weird scene. Like yes. I don't. Yes. It's a, don't it's a, get what's going on there. It's a weird scene that wasn't necessary. Like he could have been on the it's phone. Not, it's not backed up. Exactly. It's not backed up by anything. Um, yeah, it's afterwards. just. I think it's just supposed to show him as like the deadbeat dad a bit yeah. that he's not been in his life. But he's in the navy in Japan. He's come from you know, he, and he's got a Northern American accent, like a crisp yeah. North Atlantic accent. Whereas yes, yes, he does. his mother's like, "We're not going anywhere." Me, me, me. So clearly, the mother is the one from the south, and yes. he he's a deadbeat dad by virtue of the fact that he's in Japan, and you know. His kid's been racing and yeah, and then he tries to pull all, as you say, he tries to pull all these rules about you're gonna follow my rules, you're gonna go to school, then you're gonna come right back and sit here in this tiny flat until yeah, I can then- after banging whoever I want to bang. <laughs> and then and then Sean does not do any of that and no. ignores like but but in a in a in a weird consequence free environment where Yes. Like this he, is, never, he still, never faces any consequences for breaching curfew. He never faces any consequences for cutting school. And There's then he keeps no going to school. Like he moves out yeah. to fall in. He becomes a pickup man for Han. So essentially yeah. he's running <laughs> illegal or illegally adjacent tasks for this dude who's a bit murky. Cool dude, but a bit murky. And, and his dad's not interested in that and not interested in where's he going to live He's probably going to end up with the racing guys that I've been trying to keep him away from. Oh well, it's very odd. I don't know what he just he just sort of like wipes his hands of it. And like at one point, he keeps going to school. He still keeps going to school. He keeps going to school, and like and and he like there's there's a chance for him to bond with his son over this car that he's bought. Yes, which is just a MacGuffin for later in the movie. But like you know he's. He's bought this car. There's a chance to bond with his son. He's just like, well, you got to go to school. See you later. And it's just, what? What is this scene even for? What are we doing? Like, it's, it's just to showboat the fact that he's got the shell of a car. Yeah, so exactly. Why well, like it, set that yeah. up for later? Exactly. Yeah, but, but I mean, was, yeah. it was convenient enough. I've that's I've, right. I've been but the script to this movie is bad. It's a bad, but it's a bad script. Hits. The thing though, it hits a lot of movie punches like as I said Han dying I was like holy shit I can't believe someone actually died because no one has died in the previous oh no people got shot in the first yes yeah I mean yeah remember that scene but nobody died in the cars everyone survived yeah in this one this this is this is actually yeah a shocking moment of like actual violence in a car crash because there should have been so many deaths yes in this this film There were so many cars that went head on into including up to and including DK at the end where he crashes his car off a goddamn mountain that way. Yeah, head first. And then then crawls out (laughs) totally for like he's he's kind of like got some scratches, totally fine. Yeah. Um, It's so weird. The amount of people who should have died, even doing those races in the car park, people should have been killed. Yeah. Just before just before Han dies, so literally he dies after they take this amazing, like a really cool stunt where they, yeah. they're coming up on a big crowd of people in one of those hot spot sort of Tokyo areas. Yeah, and they sort so of drift through the intersection. They yeah. drip the people the audience, you know, part like the Red Sea and they drift around through it. <laughs> Great stunt, like really cool. Honestly, even me with I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Somehow everyone gets out of the way in time. 
even though these cards are approaching at incredible speeds, yeah. all the humans are able to move out of the way in time to, to know exactly the route that a car is going to drift around yes. and not be hit by it. Like people should have been thrown by it. Like yes. that, they should have collected. It should have, been, it should have been a meat grinder. Absolutely. And yet it wasn't. And then it's just that Han happens to flip and crash and then his there's petrol and his, you know, yes. yeah, you, can, yeah. you can see that Sean goes to try to get him out, but it's, oh, no, the car explodes. Some of those things are so kind of cliche that they're like, oh, they ticked that box, they ticked that box. And then I've got this on my list as uh, my minute challenge as well is when, you know, we need a climax to this movie now because we've got DK, we've got Sean, mortal enemies fighting over <laughs> Neela in the middle, you know, and he gets uh, Bow Wow's money to go give to the Yakuza uncle to say, yes, I know Han was stealing from you. Here's the money that you're owed. But what we really need now is to resolve the differences between me and what DK one way or another. What do you propose? A race. Of course. <laughs> of, of course, course he does. Of course, of course he does. He does. And so I was really satisfied that it was, I was like, oh, it's going to be a race, isn't it? I bet it sure it is. It's going to be a race, isn't now it? Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it, Natalie. So I was like, oh, how are we going to do this? A race. What's the one thing that we both value, like value is central to our identities? What's the one hammer that we have so every problem looks like a nail? Yes. <laughs> oh, Stu, what an eloquent way to phrase it. What an eloquent <laughs> way to phrase that. So, yeah, so just to finish up with my um, my list, actual consequences, I wrote that down. Cliched lines, I mentioned this. There was one that was so cliche that I forgot to note down. Skirt belts. Just yes, lots, of, lots of skirt belts. Lots of uh, mid-2000s Tokyo fashion in this my movie. My gosh, tiny, like no, there, there's no belt to the skirt. There's no hem to the skirt. It's just tiny strips of material that barely cover your crotch. But, hey, that was the 2006 style. I never remember wearing those, though. I think because I was I, – I didn't have the stomach for it. I, 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 Literally and figuratively. Um, yes. Skirt belts. Um, the music, I will say, is there some kind of change with the music? Did they get an actual composer with this film? Because um, I believe were, they did, yeah. There were moments when rather than just being sort of an eclectic playlist, the music actually had – some like emotional stakes to it and I, i'm referring mostly to the mountain seek with the race at the end with the yes. mountain yeah, yeah. where there are shots of the cars where the camera goes like swooping down almost like for some reason the term a disney movie came into my head like well, kind yeah, of I mean, well, sweeping, a blockbuster action movie but like it was sort of like sweeping through the jungle like oh hmm. and then the music would sort of swell and be like blah, blah. and then there was still like what's that song that was in it that everyone was singing in 2006? I can't remember. There was a bit of music, like a pop song in this, that it was at the start and at the end again. And I was like, I know that song. Yeah, well, I think think it got popular because of this movie. Um, Probably. It probably did. But, yes, but there was actual orchestral or some, at least a combination of orchestral and pop in some of the bigger. um, Obviously, like the the needle drops are are their own thing, but um, they they tapped uh, a composer called Brian Tyler uh, for this movie. And he goes on – he had done a few things. He actually he actually went on to do a lot of the Marvel movies. So he did like <gasps> Iron, Iron Man and, and Avengers: Age of Ultron. Oh my gosh! Um, and things like that. There you um, go. Hey, yeah, look absolutely. at me being prescient. That's hey. it exactly. And, oh. and they they liked him so much. Like like they they liked him so much that he went on to score. I think six, no seven, seven, including this one, seven of the Fast and the Furious movies. So he is the composer going forward, basically. Wow. Okay. So they they, re- they really liked his work in this. There you go. 
well, now I feel very special kind of because given that Disney movies and Marvel movies are Disney movies. You're now. right. You're right. Like the fact that this has a bit of an orchestral score to it, especially in like some of the, the climactic moments, it just sort of elevates it a little, like mm. in a way that the other movies, like the last two movies sort of didn't really hit those heights. Like uh, this this movie, that, that that final sort of drift chase down the, it's compelling. I'm, I'm into it. Like by the end of the movie, I don't know about you, Natalie. I'm, I'm, I'm into it by the end. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I want him to win. Obviously I wanted him to win and obviously he was going to win. I guess for me, it wasn't that I wasn't interested. It was more that, well, I know he's going to win and it's, it's going to be, you know, his triumphant coming into his power of drifting. You know, he's, he finally is able to use the force. In, in, and, and, and did you notice Natalie? He does the butterfly, what do you call it? Not the butterfly, the prawn, the, the striking scorpion. The crane, the crane. The, the, crane, yes. the thing At from the, the, the Karate Kid, yes, absolutely. Yes, which I've, Stu, I've never seen the Karate Kid. I mean, I mean I'm not surprised, Natalie. Um, um, look, I, I can only say I'm, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I don't, I mean, I know wax on, wax I mean, you're, on. you're aware of the, the appropriate cultural memes that have, that have filtered through. Well, yeah, I know there's something about sweeping a leg. Sure. Yes. Uh, something about that Cobra Kai is the like the the sequel where they're all grown up. Uh, that's the series that, that that's uh, recently come out. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which I haven't. Which I haven't seen. I haven't. I haven't uh, dug into that one. I, I believe Dan Beeston from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast is a big fan of Cobra Kai. He, he certainly is. He was he was talking while you're off about it when we um when, oh, when we, we caught uh, up recently. Met up, met up recently. <laughs> uh, he was definitely um. He was definitely uh, talking up Cobra Kai. We were talking about shows we'd watched and he was, I said, I hadn't seen Cobra Kai. And he was like, oh, you have to watch it. It's really, really good. And I was like, wow, I've heard that from a lot of people. But like coming from you, Dan, like I'm, I'm serious. I'm not making a joke here. Coming from you, Dan, that's that's high praise indeed. <laughs> Finalizing my list, I loved the all the kids somehow keeping track of this high speed mountain descent thing at the Is end some sort of cctv system or something they're all on like their flip phones or, or they're all phones. They're, they're flip phones which are just gonna be a thing oh man so cute but i i was wondering like who's filming if they're just watching a film yeah. thing of it i thought maybe they were all filming and it was all beaming to other people like every it was connected and they were somehow filming it it was never really clear unless I'm missing something very obvious. No, somehow everyone was watching on their flip phones and was able to follow along what was happening. On, on an incredibly phone. long, yeah. twisty, turny mountain track that seemed mm. quite remote and not populated by like, you know, CCTV cameras that they could hack. Yeah. <laughs> like somehow <laughs> everyone was able to follow like, oh no, now DK's gotten in front or now, you know. Yeah. Uh, DK just kind of sounds like too much like Dick. I don't know if you'd want the nickname DK. Mm. It's a weird, it's a weird one, isn't it? Like, it, it's, it's like it just sounds a bit like Dick. He's the Dick of this. I mean, area. He, I mean, he is, but you know, like, he I don't know why dick. you would want to be. But then, your nickname. but then he he loses that crown and it goes to Sean. He's the new DK because he's then challenged to a race at the end by my last thing, which was Vin Diesel. Vin turning up Vin's at the back. end to race because Han was. He said he was family. But Vin Diesel never family. said that. It was Bow Wow who said oh, he said Han was family. So Vin Diesel never actually said family in this movie, but it's the first time it's sort of mentioned. God, is that right? I have a weird Mandela effect happening. I'm sure he says I, family at some stage. From me watching it last night as we record, yes. Bow Wow comes up to Sean and says, hey, there's a guy here who wants to race. And he says, oh, not tonight. I'm too busy hanging out with Neela and just looking pretty sweet on top of my sweet ride. And he says, no, he said that, he said that Han was family. And he's like, oh, okay, all right. 
let's race. Mm. So it's Bauer who says that line about family. And then right. Vin, he turns up and says hi to Vin. He's like, hey, kid, are you ready for this? Or something like that. Like he doesn't like, This ain't no 10-second race. He said, he said, I didn't know Han was into American muscle. And Vin says he was when he was rolling with me. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, okay. I mean, wow. we can go yeah, to the no, tape. I'm not sure he said family. Okay, never mind. Never we mind. can go to the tape. But no, 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 no. no. I, I, I totally, I totally... I feel uh, like it, it yeah. occurred to me, it, it sort of stood out to me that it wasn't Vin Diesel who said the line about family, <laughs> even though it's so associated with him now. N- Natalie, uh, if, if you think this is the only time the talk of family comes up <laughs> in this franchise, we're going to get plenty more examples of Vin Diesel <laughs> saying the word family. But it's, Stu, it's, it's all good. That's all very well and good, but who run the race between them? <laughs> well, we'll, the we'll never ends. know. Who we will never know. Because, you know, can Vin Diesel drift? Can Dominic Toretto drift? Well, We'll never know. <laughs> no, I'm not hiding spoilers or anything. Like we, we just that is unresolved. Because that is, of, but that's like who wins out of those two? Because it's Dominic Toretto. Unclear. Not not important. But it's also to the, the young buck. You know, the new street. Like who wins out of that? Yeah. Well, we we do not see that race. There you go. What do you have listed down, Stu, now that I've um, talked everybody's ear off for hours? No, 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 no. Uh, so the, the first item on my, li- on my list was Han Sung Kang, Korean actor, really, really great in this movie. And there's a reason, I mean, I, I don't think this is a spoiler for you, Natalie, but he will be back in future movies. Or will he be forward? Because um, of time. Well, well, this is the thing. Like when when I say that this movie has to exert like a weird gravity over the rest of the franchise, Justin Lin goes on to direct uh, the next four movies. Wow. I want to say. Um, so J- Justin Lin is, is, the, is the second item on my list. Um, so we'll talk about them both at the same time, I guess. So they, they tapped into Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. This movie was not a, it was a commercial success. Like it wasn't a bomb, but it was by far the lowest grossing at the time, and in fact, still, I think it's the lowest grossing of the series. So they weren't super happy about it, but they sort of recognize that, like, Justin Lin, there was a spark of something there. He seems to have gotten on quite well with everyone. And also the writer, uh, Chris Morgan, um, sticks around as well for, for even longer than um, Lin does. He sticks on, he sticks around for the next, what is it, one, two, three, four, five movies. Um, wow. So, like, like for, for the next chunk... What we are seeing is like a like a unite. So so the 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 series has been sort of casting about trying to figure out what do we do after the first one, and they finally kind of figure it out with the next movie. You know, and that, that that's with that's with Justin Lin. So he went on to uh, direct like the next the next three, and then he came back again for for F nine as well. So it, it's basically Song Kang was like friends with Justin Lin. So he was one of these actors who'd been in like some of his previous like student films and, and some of his early uh, his early uh, work. And so he obviously like really likes him, really likes using him. Um, and he was like, we should bring back Han. And so what do we have to do to make that happen? And the answer is some of the next few movies are going to technically be prequels. It's super weird. Like like where where this movie then sits in the timeline, it just gets super complicated. Um, so all thought, because all because they loved Han so much and they loved Sung Kang so much. I so I was really shocked that they actually killed him off. Yeah, but yeah I it, thought it comes it, as a crazy moment in the film. It's like I wow. thought he was gonna do a Sherlock Holmes. Like I thought it was gonna oh, be okay. a Reichenbach Falls, uh Reichenbach right. Fire. Yeah. And he was just mm-hmm. gonna slide out the other side and he'd come back at a later date and go, yeah, no, It was no. just too hot. I'm sorry I had to leave you in the middle of it. <laughs> and there'd be a moment where they'd like go ooh at each other and grr. Mm-hmm. 
but then they'd become friends again. He was like, I had to get out of the, you know, I, I was bringing too much heat to the situation. I had to go lie right. low and reconnect with my old mate Dominic Toretto or whatever. That's what how I thought they'd get out of it. They just write him back in and go, he never died. Seems yeah. like the easiest easiest way to do. But instead, no, let's let's do some weird time travel. No, they 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 do some very complicated uh, time. Well, not super complicated, but but like they twist themselves and the series in knots just to get Han, Han back, basically, which is great because he's great. I love having him around. Um, he's a great <laughs> character. Did, did you like? I mean, did you like him? He's, he's the easily the standout of the movie. I he's, think he's very mysterious. He's got a real yeah. air edge of mystery about him. Like he's first got a real of all, cool, yeah. He seems to be like. DK's friend and then he's like no here you go you can drive my car he gives his keys to young well, no he's not he's not he's like off. he's in business with DK but he's not yeah like, but they were all sort of hanging out so I didn't quite establish that they were in business yeah. I sort of thought they were all part of a gang so I didn't quite it took a while to work out oh okay yeah like, like Han is his own thing yeah because he's been rolling with with Dom yeah he's been know, rolling he's been rolling so, um, would you say that you roll with me do we roll with each other? Um, when we say it like as podcasters, it's like, well, when <laughs> when Stu and I roll, I, I, don't, I don't think we're allowed to use those terms. Why not? I, I just, I just, I just feel that we are we are both far too white and nerdy to be using the, the term rolling with each other. Stu, but as radio, as experienced radio journalists, we often use the term rolling when we were recording people interviewing. We would always say rolling. So we used to roll as radio journalists. This is true. Yeah? I feel like I feel like uh, context uh, may be king here. <laughs> Stu, I'm sorry. I'm reclaiming the word rolling. There is nothing really inherently, you know, appropriative about saying that you and I, two middle-class white people in Brisbane, Australia. I'm not, I'm, not saying it's, I'm not saying we're appropriating anything. I'm saying we are far too lame to be talking about talking about yeah, rolling with each other. We ro- <laughs> <laughs> That's how we roll here at uh, Raven On. That's how we or roll. Raven On. We roll. We roll as podcasters. Can you imagine? Maybe we should do the pod and the podcasters because maybe we could have like a podcasting conference where we all get together with our shiny microphones and then you and I kind of like the the garage door goes up and some real cool like hip-hop kicks in and some grime or something and then it's like and then we kind of roll in with sunglasses on and we just in slow motion we just sort of stride in, you know, with our nerdy pop culture theme t-shirts well, well, or something. Well, um, instead of cars, everyone would be fawning over like the latest road microphones. And, that's and, my point. Uh, that's yeah. my point. And then we roll up that, and that I'm guy's like. Got a, that guy's got a TH1 mixing desk. Oh, my God. Oh, man, I want that Rode Pro 2 mixing desk. I know. Isn't that, isn't that good? <laughs> I, I, even... I love that you had that. I knew you had that in your back pocket. <laughs> it's the only mixing desk I know the name of. Guys, Natalie, Natalie has like a wish list. <laughs> mixing desk if the patron if the patrons want to get on that the, the thing is uh, about is that i love tech shit i love gadgets yeah, I'm, yeah just, I'm not i'm not techie i'm not gadgety i don't know how to fix them i don't know how to adjust them i don't know how to really use them properly but i like love buttons <laughs> yeah. i like buttons i like tactile shit and those road pro casters like you plug in all your mics and then you can have like you have like multicolored buttons that just do things and they don't mm-hmm. have labels. You just sort of somehow psychically know what the buttons do. You can press, <laughs> you know, if, if we were to have a segment like in the, you know, look out for the cookout, which I haven't seen in another cookout yet, Stu, but it's been in the back of my mind. We could have that on like a pre recorded, you know, button. So we could go, hey, it's time for me. Look out for the cookout, you know, and that could be its own sound effect. And now I'm going to have to remember the sounds that I just did so I can repeat them every time we cook out. I like 
this is my curse in life to be kind of obsessed with gadgety things and tactile things and phone this and like I got an Apple Watch at Christmas time and I am obsessed with it. I did not think I would love an Apple Watch as much as I love my Apple Watch. Because they've been around for a you while were, now. You were very I, taken with your Apple Watch when we caught up recently. I am like, no, I've got, about, it tells me, rings. It, I've got rings I have to close. I've got to squeeze them shut. I've got to clench them. Yeah. I've got to clench my rings. Um, I clench those rings closed all the time. But it's so useful to me. Like it's so, it's weirdly motivational. And what I like is even if I get up really late and I've been really lazy, it'll send this message going, you're off to a great start. <laughs> your Royal <laughs> Majesty. Years ago, I changed the name on my phone from just Natalie to your Royal Majesty Girl Clumsy, which is my handle, of course, as a joke. And right. I don't know what I did and I don't know how to change it back. So every time my <laughs> phone every time my phone talks to me, it's always calls me your Royal Majesty Girl Clumsy. Well, it knows its place. <laughs> no, but the thing is sometimes I'm like, yeah. And then other times I'm like, oh, I'm a sham. I'm I'm a sham. I'm a I'm a <laughs> imposter. But I love that it gives me a motivational message when literally all I've done is like get up, walk out, feed the cats, have a drink of water. Great start. <laughs> you got up. <laughs> So I love, I love, you got out of bed. I love techie things. And if I, if I, you know, earned a lot of money, I would buy way more gadgety techie things. But what's frustrating to me is I don't understand the underlying technology and I either break them or don't know how to make them work properly. And, Mm. but yeah, buttons, man, a mixing desk with lots of bing, 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 (laughs) that's my kind of car you know, level of stuff. So yeah, yeah, when we have the podcasters conference and we roll in and there's Dan and Greg there from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, who else do we know who has a podcast? <laughs> um, Tom can come from, be- oh no, Tom is like the king. He's like the Dom Toretto. He's rolling in with yeah. his glasses and his tie and his jackets and he's coming in hot. Maybe we could get Deb from the Guilty Feminist. She's bringing in like the crowds. She's got the hordes. Yeah, actually she's winning <laughs> at the podcast. She's winning at the Secret Underground podcast. She's, she's, she's arguably the Dom, I would say. Like, like, she's the Dom Toretto. Yeah, I think Deb Francis White from The Guilty Feminist, she is the Dominic Toretto of the podcast world. That is fair to say. Which kind of makes Tom the Mia, I guess? Or, no, no, or he's, so- the, he's the Brian, man. Oh, he's the Brian, he's, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's yeah, riding sure. sidecar. Like, they're in it together, man. He's ride or die. He's doing the steer and drive. We're going to have podcasters meet in a car park yes, with all of yeah, our yeah. microphones. Yes. And like shiny and we're going to have some pump and bass music and then it'll be like, can you turn it down? We can't get the audio right on our levels. Yeah. We can't get our levels right. <laughs> it's bleeding through. Um, it's, it's, it's really distracting. Can, oh. we, can we get that down? You know who? Alison Sandy, friend of the pod. She came on our James Bond podcast. She's a reporter here in Brisbane. Um, she's behind she, she's like a, she's really like a successful real podcast. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Podcast. I was going to say. So she's behind The Lady Vanishes, which is like hugely popular podcast, and she's just released another one called Shot in the Dark, which is already climbing the podcast charts, all these true crime podcasts. We'll get Alison in. She can like stroll in. She's like got the true crime, you know, local true crime section covered. This is going to be stiff competition, Stu. We're going to have to really yeah. pull out some. Pull I, out I feel, like, I feel like we're, um, we're, we're backseating ourselves from our own podcast conference here. That's right. We're going to roll in like in the slow-mo music and then everyone will look up and it'll be like one of those moments in a movie where everything goes quiet and some birds chirp or crickets. It's like, (laughs) Uh, you guys came. We organized this. This was our idea. (laughs) Yep. You got to roll with the big boys now. And we're back to rolling and I've brought it back full circle. Boom. We got there in the end. Continue on with your list. I was frantically writing with my, my silly fingers at the moment and um, I couldn't remember his name. So I just wrote main guy. Oh, main, main girl is Aussie. 
I wrote, um, which I just thought yeah. we should point out. We've already pointed that out. I said, main guy makes Paul Walker look like Paul Newman. Um, <laughs> and he, he really does. Like, like all respect all respect to, to Lucas Black, who uh, seems like a real nice guy. I don't know whether you, you've seen this, Natalie. He has like an extremely, like he's a, he's a successful TV actor and movie actor. He has a, a YouTube channel where he just posts videos of him going fishing with his kids and hunting oh. and various other things. Like, you know, and um, just seems like a nice guy. Oh. Seems like a real nice guy. Um, so I, I'm so sorry to, to Lucas Black if he's listening that I've spent so long trashing your acting abilities. Um, but uh, yeah, not not really working for me in this particular movie. He's an audience insert character. You kind sure. of project yeah, onto exactly. him. So yeah. we've had that for two the past two movies. Why stop now? <laughs> it's a successful formula. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I did go on to write everything in this movie is his fault. Like everything that happens, like is just a result of him bumbling in, going, "Hi, I'm American." And <laughs> And something something happens that moves the plot forward. Except technically Han's death, which thematically should be his fault. Yes. Um, if you want like like those sort of stakes elevated and stuff like that, but but actually has nothing to do with him and is basically about like this weird business deal that goes south between Han and DK. Yes. So sure, script is bad. Script is very bad in this movie. And that that's my list. That's that's what I got written down. I didn't get written down too much this time, but we've we've talked about a lot of the a lot of the, the film itself. But but yeah, I mean, I, I guess on that, like I feel like this is a movie that's really elevated by, is really elevated by its direction. Like Justin Lin directs the crap out of this movie. He has some showy moves, like like especially at the, at the end where he sort of does those sweeping shots of the mountain and stuff like that. But I think it's just a very stylish looking movie. It's directed well. The action is clear. All of the, the car stunts are great in this movie because most of them are practical stunts done by real Japanese like drift, races there was a cameo i believe of actual drift races i think it's the guys because i was reading about drifting yes. and it was yeah. something about these famous japanese drivers and there's like they had a cameo in the fast and the furious i think it might be those guys who are fishing when they're when oh, it's I'm, first pretty, I'm pretty sure it is yeah i'm pretty and sure they're it's like old guys going you call that drifting yeah. you know i do love this idea that you know when they're he's practicing up on the mountains you just got to feel it you got to feel it it's a mystical quality and others are going, my grandma is blind and she could drift better than that. Like, I just, <laughs> I love the idea that, you know, little old Japanese ladies and everyone's just going, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm just going out for a drift. <laughs> um, it's the only way you can get down the mountain, which is weirdly devoid of traffic, by the way. Like, like it just seems to yes. be like, there's never any other cars. Like, they just totally clear run. Do you want me, is this an appropriate juncture for me to read out my brother's take on this movie? I would love to hear your brother's take on this movie. <laughs> So if you haven't listened to our previous two episodes of Revenon, which you, you know, why are you even here? My brother is a car guy. He's a, um, I think a month younger than Stu and a couple of years younger than me. Actually, no, he's way older. I'm a baby. Um, <laughs> no, he's my baby brother and he's lifelong devotee of the Fast and the Furious movie. So I've been asking him for his opinion. This is it, FF3. So this is the one where basically after the second one, we all thought the series was going to end. That makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose what he means is the second one was kind of like, eh, and this might be the end of it. Yeah. None of the original cast signed on for FF3, so they went to the bottom of the barrel and got Lucas Black <laughs> to be the hero American lad from the South who ends up in Japan as an army brat, although he's a Navy brat, uh, learns how to drift and falls in love with Neela, who is the sexy race car girl with a bizarre Australian accent. <laughs> this movie was the biggest pile of poo story-wise, but I still watch it. <laughs> 
Car action was still good and it features K. Tsuchiya. Oh, that must be where I got this. K. Uh, Tsuchiya. I'm just remembering my Japanese from school. Tsuchiya Cameo, who is the world's best drifter and features in a heap of wicked Japanese cult videos called Best Motoring. I loved these growing up. Also, Reese Millen from New Zealand does all the stunts too. And he's a wicked famous Kiwi Pikes Peak racer. Bow Wow holds down the fort and tries to be funny selling stuff and driving a big green Hulk car. Oh, we didn't mention that. That was really cute. I liked his big green Hulk car. My brother continues, Mitsubishi should get the best actor nomination at the Oscars because the human human actors were cringeworthy. Anyway, enjoy watching this pile of poo. Thought the series was done for after this one, but they brought it all back together. Dot, 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 enter FF4, mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's an emoji of mic drop. Yes, yes. Uh, so there's my brother's thoughts. Does that make well, sense to you? Yeah, no, it definitely does. It definitely does. I mean, like he, he seems to be mirroring a lot of our thoughts in that script's not great. The acting is pretty bad. I think except for uh, Sun Kang as Han, um, I, I think he's really good. Actually. He's very charismatic, yeah. He's, he's charismatic. He's, he's a good character. Um, and DK but, was not too bad as far as like he, really. Yeah, actually. Yeah, as a threatening bad guy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but obviously as a, you know, sensitive, nerdy, kind of want to impress the family on the inside. Yeah. Like he's all yeah, bluff. Yeah. He's all bluff and show. And it's sort of weird because he doesn't really have anything to, to fight for at the end. As he said, I've already beaten this guy once. But his yeah. uncle is like, hmm, I respect this kid's moxie. So strap <laughs> in, son, you're going to go oh, race him. I do love Sonny Chiba as um, Kamada. He, he has a... Yeah, he 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 has that sort of element of I should probably kill you, but I'm impressed <laughs> at your moxie. So I guess you guys can have a car race. Sure. I don't know why I got weird like Japanese Marlon Brando vibes from him. I don't know if that was what they were going for, but I oh, just, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it was fun enough. Yeah, should we rank these films then? If we finish I, kind of talking about let's, them, let's do it. Let's do it now, Natalie. I I often influence you with my decision. So do you, do you want to place this one? <laughs> Because where did you land? Like, where did you land last week? Last week, I ended up being contrary and putting the second movie ahead of the first. Right. Okay. Fair um, enough. And this is really difficult because I can't. I don't, I, <laughs> I, I've done a James Bond list again, where I'm like, yes. I, I feel like maybe I would watch this over the the first and the second ones again, but I don't. And none of them are great, so it's a really weird no. way. <laughs> so I think I'm thinking I'm putting it in third position at this point, but I wouldn't be surprised if these three stayed above others that are coming, but also. According to you, I'm in for quite a ride, so they might all drop yeah, to the I, bottom. I don't, I don't think I don't think any of these will be troubling the top of our list anytime soon. Oh, I um, see. Having said that, I, I would probably put this one in second place. So my, my list, as it stands, uh, is the opposite of yours. So I have I have the Fast and the Furious, and then Too Fast, Too Furious. So I would slot this one probably just above Too Fast, Too Furious because if I if I had to watch one again, I would actually watch Tokyo Drift before I would watch Too Fast, Too Furious. Which yeah, well, this is, is what, weird. This is weird because I think maybe I would watch the. I don't know. There was just something about mm. this that was. Uh, I don't know. Look, I'll stay where I am, and you stay where you are, and I'll just deal with the consequences. Yeah. It might be no, another no, no. diamonds are forever situation where I accidentally <laughs> rank it too high or too low, and then spend my days regretting. Because the thing is, I don't. I don't know if I'd want to go back and watch any of these immediately. No, I mean this is the, we're, we're grading on a curve. I I won't be going back and watching any of these movies anytime soon. We're and yet not- there are several of the future installments which are, I deeply, deeply love. Stu, we're not grading on a curve. We're grading on a drift. On a drift. Hey, we're, we're drifting around the curves and then grading as we go. Maybe that should be the theme for it. We're grading on a drift. No. <laughs> 
Dr- drifting will not really come up again. I, I don't mean to put in any spoilers. Like, like this, this is the, oh, the, first and, the first and only like sort of foray into like drifting culture. Oh, that's a shame because I wondered if that was going to become like incorporated into the wider franchise that there might be like, well, the only way we can get out of this boys is by drifting. <laughs> no, drifting. Drifting. <laughs> it's like no, impulse. no. <laughs> they come up with different uh, ways to get out okay. of uh, scrapes in the future. I was just thinking like RuPaul's Drag Race where they have to like lip sync for your life. Drift for your <laughs> life. Drift. Drift, boys. So, yeah, so now I have the uh, idea of Japan where I can just go there and like day one I'll be able to find my way into a really cool underground street racing mm. culture. Oh, totally. And just immediately, you know, step up to the DK and say, hey, man, I want to race. Let's race. And then proceed <laughs> to trash a very expensive rebuilt car. <laughs> I wonder if my brother can drift. I'm going to have to ask him. I'm going to have to say, can you drift? He's a very good driver, my brother, and he's he's done the old. <laughs> did I ever tell you about the time? This is probably going too long into this podcast, but did I ever tell you about the time back when I was working for Triple M and my brother and I ended up going out and doing a drag race at Willowbank? No, you never told me that. What? I'm that is sure relevant information for this podcast, Natalie. <laughs> You should have been leading with that episode one. What are we talking about here? No, but the, what was hilarious is that, so this is Willowbank Raceways yeah. near, near Ipswich. It's sort of on the way to yes. Ipswich, I think. So it's a, a little way out of Brisbane. And Triple M was a Brisbane radio station, but they sponsored the Willowbank races and they wanted to do, like they wanted to have some Triple M people come out and race and um, nobody was available. <laughs> Maybe nobody wanted to, I don't know, but somehow it got around and I went oh that would be really fun you know who would like that my brother and so I was sort of looking into it and it turned out nobody really wanted to do it I said well look do you want me to ask my brother and because he's like a genuine good car dude and we could go out and I'm like the newsreader <laughs> I'm like yeah. the lamest person to go out for triple M <laughs> people, and- people would audibly gray like and, and Natalie Bohensky <laughs> the newsreader oh. <laughs> Jamie, well, no, whoever, whoever well, was, on the, was on the breakfast crew at the yeah. time, like nobody wanted to do it. And so I was like, okay, well, I just thought it would be a fun thing to do because I knew I would be terrible, but like, my brother would have a good time. And uh, we didn't actually race drag cars. We They put us in a like a ute or something. It was some like a, I don't know, a Hilux or it was, a, you know, it was right. like a, like a sturdy tradies kind of cars that they, yeah. they raced as their, you know, special, I guess, you know, for people who can't drive probably. And it, I felt really embarrassed because they kept saying up next is a triple M team who are going to drag. And I kept feeling like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. But it was like the newsreader and her brother. And her brother. <laughs> but the thing was, it's, yeah, you know, to be honest though, that's on triple M. Like no, no one could be strong armed into coming out. Like what, what's going on? on guys yeah like because we didn't get paid or anything we had to drive ourselves no, exactly out there. yeah yeah but they gave me t-shirts for us to wear so we sure. both wore triple m t-shirts and repped the the station and i don't know if i should even be naming the station brisbane no. rock music station you can probably guess it this was like well you've already you've already said the name but that's this that's is fine. so we'll long ago. this is probably almost 20 years ago no one would remember okay everyone will have moved on but yeah so we were out there then they showed us you know how to what to do and of course we hit the <laughs> And they had the guy on the, you know, the racer, racer, racer. <laughs> and, um, we, I think we went up there to meet them and say hello to the guys who do the announcing. And I'm pretty certain I heard them like as we took off going, mm. oh, she's made a bad start to that. 
Because <laughs> I just took a, like I I was trying to be really cool and like hit the gas, but of course you're, you're in the sure middle. Everyone's wheels, yeah. everyone's there, and I'm like I'm going to screw this up, and I kind of screwed it up. And of course my brother was off like a shot. He took off. He was great. So at sure. least he you know he was a guy who knew how to drive and knew how to wasn't afraid of driving fast. And then <laughs> you know I <laughs> I grandmaed up behind. Is this you to say say yes to that? Like to like not only to say yes, but to like volunteer yourself and your family member for this? Because I thought my brother would enjoy it, like racing at Willowbank. I guess he did. I guess he did. Like literally, you know, we were going out there, like they were, you know, taking care of us and they they had someone who met us and took us around and introduced us to people and, you know, I think took us for a soft drink and and got us into the car, you know, showed us stuff. And I just thought it would be a really fun thing to take to do for my brother because he loved cars. And I think a lovely thing to do. I think he enjoyed it, but yeah, I um I obviously embarrassed myself greatly. But the good thing was, is I could just go, oh well, what do you expect? I'm a newsreader. <laughs> that's why I brought my cool brother who drives cars because he's a good driver. I think that's right. We went up after the race to the inter- to chat with the guys on the um you know and now race you know they have those um fantastic PA announcers yeah, yeah, yeah. races. And they just bagged the shit out of me. It was hilarious. (laughs) So what was going through your mind when you decided to, you know, not hit the accelerator pedal? (laughs) They ripped the shit out of me. It was hilarious. And I was like, oh, come on, guys. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, my brother knew how to talk the talk. So that's the trade-off. Fantastic. Now, Natalie, you have literally lived your life a quarter mile at a time. (laughs) I realise that now. I had sort of forgotten that. How are you not front-loading this anecdote? We we are burying it. (laughs) At the back end of the of the of the le- of what what I can guarantee you will be the least listened to installment of this oh. podcast franchise. I'm, I'm not I'm not kidding. Like people are not going to listen to this one. Like this is the one oh. they won't listen to. Right? Surely, so, surely the worst movies is people listen to more because they're the ones that you. Well, I, I, I hope so, but I, I feel like the numbers will bear me out here. Maybe but like, we, we to... are burying this anecdote, Natalie. We have to bring it up again and again now. <laughs> That time Natalie drag raced it. With yes, incredible. I mean, the thing, that's the thing about working at a radio station. Like you do get these random opportunities because they sure, just yeah. want someone. They're like, you're the sponsor and we want someone to come out. You've got, and they're running, you know, the radio station's running it going, can someone please go to Willow Bank and drag no, race a car? You're technically an on-air personality. <laughs> <sighs> but very slim, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, hello, I'm the newsreader. Like, oh, newsreader from Triple M is coming here to race a car and be really embarrassing. To- <laughs> <laughs> That's why I had to take my brother because, no, I honestly I honestly think that I, you know, an email would have gone out a few times that I would have gone, mm. well, they're looking for on-air people or, you know, program directors or Black Thunder drivers or whatever we had, Rock Patrols. They're looking for actual, you know, famous people. Nobody wants to do that because you're not being paid it, I think I think no, they exactly, do it yeah. if yeah. they get paid or they get you know some bonus out of it. But they were they were literally yeah, going. If you, hey, if you can squeeze some contra out of it, like you, you're fine. But like if you if you're actually like yeah. if you if you're just showing up out of the goodness of your own heart, it's it's yeah. hard to motivate some people sometimes. That's right. But my motivation was, oh, my brother might like this, and I was like, hey, Simon, do you want to go to Willowbank and race a drive car and represent like, Triple M? Do I? Like, yeah, all right. <laughs> we'll go do that. Literally, my dream. But yeah, people die at that racetrack in the actual drag cars. Like they had uh, a date there not they, that they long do. ago. They do. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous, yeah. uh, dangerous thing. So I'm glad I wasn't in those things because we saw a few of those go, <laughs> and they're literally like a rocket. Like they're, it's just like yeah, it, it's it's a, a flimsy metal frame strapped to a rocket. It's a jet fuel, and they literally light a match, and the thing goes yeah. and then three seconds later, it's all over, and a balloon mm-hmm. comes out. No, not a balloon. A parachute comes out. 
and uh, it's all over. And you're like, what just happened? What just happened? Someone, someone won, I think. It's crazy. It's And it takes so much time to, you know, get everything set up. And it's like an hour every race or whatever to set everything up and get it all right. And we're rolling up to the starting line, right? And then for four seconds of boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the most amount of commitment to the tiniest little bit of actual performance. It's crazy stuff. <laughs> but I, I like doing things like that. Any any chance I got to go and do, I, it, one of the reasons why I like being a journo too is like, hey, do you want to come do this thing or go here or see this? Or And I'm like, yeah, I'll go do stuff. Stuff that I would <laughs> never think existed and least of all could pay for. Because, I, I mean, I didn't earn a huge amount of money at Triple M. So the prospect of going out and having probably like a sausage roll and hot dog and a can of soft drink and racing a car was probably a good good deal for me. Probably a good deal. Absolutely. That's a good day out. You got to race a car, get a can of soft drink. (laughs) Do they throw in a pie or a sausage roll or something? Probably. I feel like, I feel like they would have, yeah, I feel like they fed us and gave us drinks, not alcohol, obviously. Um, Not that I'm a drinker anyway, but yeah, just to have a soft drink, have a, have a, you know, chalky bar and race a car. Race a car. So that was fun. Uh, I must must ask my brother if he remembers doing that. I'm sure he does, but I don't think. Uh, Again, again, I am astonished that you did not lead with this story front up. I didn't didn't think it was relevant. How on earth could you not think that you literally drag racing was not relevant to this podcast series that we are doing. I just forgot to be honest, you. I just forgot. The other thing, do you remember when I did my 30 before 30 project? I do, yes. Where I tried to do one of the things that I did there was go racing a like a sporty car. Again, I got my brother to hook me up because that's how we do things around here. He had a mate who worked or had a I think he worked for a worked for a company. I can't remember the car company. But he got access to this really sporty car and we went out to Portside like before it was all built up because, okay. you know, that's how old I am now. But out to Portside where there were lots of still big tracks of roads that weren't, you know, really going anywhere. There weren't houses around. There weren't people around. And we went out there in this fast car and my goal was to try and like drive a sports car at a high speed. And we may have broken the limit. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I, I may have fudged the facts in my 30 before 30 so we wouldn't get arrested. I was like, <laughs> we were approaching high speeds. I did not speed myself, because, I, but I drove certainly drove faster than I would normally drive. And anyway, so I drove it and I was really tentative because I'm, you know, I, I like driving, but I don't like kind of recklessly driving. And then my brother got in. It was like the, his friend was like, oh, do you want to go, mate? And he's like, yeah, I'll have a go. And then my brother gets in and they're like, <laughs> my brother yeah. is not scared or frightened by speed. He's like Brian O'Connor, man. He's just got to be in the moment. No, is it Dom? You're in the moment. Just got to be in the moment. You know, he loves a fast drive. And we were like, (laughs) (laughs) I reckon if I could learn, if someone would teach me the principles of drag racing, I might be okay. But (laughs) ultimately. Well, look, I I think you're getting a a very good um, education as we go. Yes, I am. I am. So what I'm going to do is get the Mazda out. We'll go find some deserted track outside of Brisbane somewhere and you and I, Stu, will roll in with our microphones. Absolutely. You've got a Mitsubishi. That's a, that's a high class. I, I, I have a Lancer. Um, I mean, yeah. I, it's, a, it's a factory standard one, but um, it's got a spoiler on the back. It's got a spoiler. <laughs> and this podcast also has spoilers. Thank yes. you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Are we sort of killing time now? Should we wrap this thing up? I think we should. Now, I mean, like, like, I guess, uh, you know. Now that I've left you stunned and speechless. with I, I can't I, believe I tell I- you what. 
I can't believe I've never told you that story, but I could have sworn I would have told you that story before. You, you've never told me that story before. That is brand new to me. Wow. I thought we had no secrets, Stu. I'm sorry I've held, <laughs> withheld that from you. I'm just, I'm just glad that we, we can still surprise each other after all these years. Um, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of this movie, um, yeah, like I, I, had a, I had a really fun time watching it because it's dumb as hell, but it is, it's directed very well and the, the action sequences are great and it knows exactly what it is, I think is the Yeah, is there's the no... There's no pretension with these films, and it sounds yeah. like, given the the poster that you showed me for Fast X with the crucifix and everything, oh well, yeah, <laughs> maybe a bit of pretension starts to creep in. I'm not sure, but oh no, I, I think that like one of the one of the keys to the, the success and the longevity of this franchise is that these movies know exactly what sort of movies they're trying to make. There's no confusion about what movie they're making. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I and that that really starts here. I feel like the last couple of movies have maybe been a little bit confused like like they, they are they are their own thing and from next time when we hit fast and furious 4 which is simply called fast and furious <laughs> um again like continuing the absolutely baffling naming convention <laughs> of this series the series really sort of settles in and says okay now we know what we're doing and come along for the ride with us because it's going to be great well i am looking forward to it if you are on Twitter, you can call in at GirlClumsy, at Disco Stew. He doesn't need to advertise. Please chat to us. We love hearing your takes on our podcasts and these movies. And if you are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne is where I post the links out to the podcast there. And most importantly of all, patreon.com slash GirlClumsy. My patrons, thank you so, so much. You are the light of my life. You're the Japanese engine in my hulking husk of a external body. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wish I was joking, but it's absolutely the truth. Uh, I am just some old beat up wreck in a shed without your uh, support. So <laughs> it's, it's really true. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you would like to join the Patreon train, it's patreon.com slash girl clumsy. You can throw in however much you want to a month from a buck onwards, just to help keep the podcasts rolling, technical support, subscription fees all that sort of stuff Stu as always thank you so much it's been a pleasure oh we're living life quarter mile at a time my friend indeed we are and I guess we have to wrap it all up by saying the importance it, I don't know how, how do we go into this again we just simply go we, we could we could just say it's all about family family <laughs> and I'll try and catch you and be yeah. slightly late okay yes. it's all about family, family. Are we going to see more Vin Diesel next time? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, great. So it really is, one, two, three, ready? It really is all about family. <laughs> see you next time, everybody. Bye, everyone.